tell you what, today the AFL is facing a second-class action of a concussion, and it's going to be, well, it's going to be submitted by Griffin Lawyers. We've got the managing partner, Greg Griffin himself, on the line. G'day, Greg. Good evening, Timmy. Timmy G, as I'm now going to refer to you as. <laughs> Good on you, mate. I love that. Um, <laughs> when were you first uh, approached about this, mate? And, and was it? Oh, just... we've been working this for seven or eight years. Wow, seven or eight uh, years. Peter, Jess, and I started this project seven or eight years ago, and um, in that time, we have spent countless hours and spoken to countless footballers, looked at countless medical reports. And over the last two or three years have, I mean, we obviously started the proceedings for Tizan back in the Melbourne Supreme Court. Um, obviously, with then I acted for the widow of uh, Shane Tuck, Cat Tuck, in the coronial investigation. And um, we then brought it to this position, which is the uh, class action, um, which, which is going to involve a range of household names. Um, I mean, none of them have put the Sean Smith S or Darren Jarman J or Shane Tuck T or yeah, yeah, Timmy T. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to stop being mean. <laughs> um, so, so basically what we have is we have a, a raft of um, very a combination of um, experienced and retired players together with recently retired and even those we've got a collection of players who in the ordinary course would still be playing but for the concussions they have suffered. Yeah. You've been involved in sport for a long, long time. Long time, yeah. How long ago do you think you actually thought that this may become an issue? Look, when we first looked at this, which, as I said, seven or eight years Mm. ago, um, it was basically there were all these walls built around by the AFL that concussion wasn't an issue and that their medical their medical evidence was the best of the world, that everything they did was world best. But, I mean, basically, over the years, as, I mean, I went to Massachusetts in Boston to go and see Dr. Bob Cantu in 2018 because he is the world expert. I was deeply uh, troubled by the opinions that were being proffered by the AFL doctors met with Dr. Cantu, and Dr. Cantu, who, together with Dr. Stern, are the leading experts in the world, um, took a completely diametrically opposite position to that expressed by the AFL doctors. And so, basically, when I returned in 2018, uh, we then basically drew up, we actually looked at about a 1,000 articles uh, and were then satisfied that um, Cantu and Stern were absolutely on the right side of the medical evidence. And that, uh, I mean, basically Bob Cantor had been the lead witness for the players' union in the NFL case and the NHL case, which I think is still going. So, so basically, um, we basically took the view that what the AFL had done was for many years just replicated what the NFL had done, which was to deny everything and then basically say... Um, there is no concussion, there is no CTE, and they got away with it for years and years. And when the matter came to court, the whole thing folded, and a billion dollars later, all their doctors were sacked, as they should have been, and they brought in new doctors, new panels, and the NHL is now 
uh, sorry, the NFL is now a very different and functioning body. The problem the AFL had is it's always followed the playbook for the NFL. But what it hasn't done is it hasn't kept up with the changes. Now, since 1986, the uh, AFL should have adopted the Bob Cantu return to play protocols. It just denied that they were relevant, denied that, that they, they, they represented uh, the state of medical evidence. Um, then in, in 1994, there was the National Medical Health Research Council report, which set out um, a very detailed report for all government-funded agencies, which AFL's one, NRL's another one, which, which basically required them to keep records and how they had to deal with concussed players. Of course, they just completely ignored it. And in 2004, we were able to convince um, people from the federal government for which shame can only be thrown at them um, to completely overturn the findings of the 1994 report. So, so from 2004 to, 2000, to now, the AFL managed to uh, say that there were no obligations upon it from the federal government. Well, okay, they're, they're what you call small victories. Uh, in fact, it was a very, it was a very sad victory because it cost. In many, in many respects, so many people's enjoyment of life. But, you know, every, every toll has to be paid. Um, and whilst the AFL continue to deny the um, existence of CTE and, and, the, and the problem that uh, BTI and concussions were causing, um, the medical evidence was building against them. So, so now, instead of... If, if they'd followed... The protocols back in '86 and followed what was recommended in 1994, they'd be facing a much lesser claim than they're going to face now because there are so many injured players. Greg, sort of takes so long with that answer, and I apologise. No, no, that's good clarity, Greg. Would this could this bring the game to its knees? Because if you're talking a billion dollars and you're following the NFL, then that could be. Well, the NFL, the NFL is a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, Look, you know, how, how much? Been, how much do you think this one's worth, or how much are you after? Well, I mean, it's worth a lot. Uh, I, I mean, a billion dollars is is a vast sum of money, and those sort of awards aren't readily made in Australia, Warren. Yeah. Um, but it'll still be if the uh, plaintiffs succeed, which we expect them to. It'll be a very significant damages award. But the AFL's insured up to its armpits um, and has assets, so uh, I'd much rather those assets and that insurance money be directed to the two or three hundred players whose lives have been adversely impacted upon. Yeah, and that, that makes sense. And clearly there's a lot of people that have their, had their lives impacted and no one wants to see them go without. But what are they after? Clearly there's a financial element of compensation for certain players, depending on, I suppose, the seriousness of their case. Um, but also is there ability for treatment, support, care for people who have got ongoing issues going forward? Well, that's going to... Basically, what will happen is there'll be a judgment, and then there will be, uh, you know, to, you know, assuming that the uh, plaintiffs succeed, and there'll be uh, a pot of money, and then the pot of money has to be worked out whether it, how it is distributed, and the question is, is a portion of that to be distributed to ongoing medical treatment? Which, as you, I mean, that sounds eminently reasonable to me, um, because with good neurological assistance and good neuropsychologists. Treating players, you can improve quality of life. Um, look, with the onset of CTE, which is not by far the, ma the majority of cases, I mean, CTE is not um, certainly prevalent in every player we have. I mean, far from it. Um, the most 
serious case of CTE is, of course, Shane Tuck, who died at the age of 37 with stage 4 CTE, which is unheard of even in NFL. So um, someone has to explain how that was permitted to occur, and oh, just on SEN, and uh, the SEN commentators were trying to suggest that's because he boxed. Well, he boxed when he retired, and it takes four years for every stage of CTE to actually come into place. So the AFL's argument there is pathetically hopeless and should be withdrawn. And whatever boxing took place involving Shane, of course, at Richmond, I mean, anyone knows what happened at Richmond back in the early 2000s. Um, there was a lot of boxing. There was a lot of boxing without helmet. And there was a lot of mismatching in boxing. Um, so... I, I think the boxing argument the AFL runs is just completely hopeless. And so, th- therefore, we have to see how can a, a man of that age have um, some, had the CTE take over his brain to that extent, being level four. Uh, and, and that's just years and years of um, basically Damage. head injuries and subconcussive and concussions. Greg, when do you expect to lodge this? Oh, it'll be probably either tomorrow or Friday. And you can, because um, it says it could be up to, say, 200 players. Um, well, at can the it moment, be added to? At the moment, there's about, I mean, basically we've got, we've, we propose to go with, uh, to join two clubs with seven players who used to play with those two clubs plus three um, lead plaintiffs. Um, but then there'll be orders for advertising so it'll be a class action where, where group people, where group members are invited to apply, and it's an opt-in, opt-out class action, which means that, um, for example, um, Rowie could opt in, and and then six months later say, look, I don't really want to be here, and opt out. Okay. So so that's how it'll be, and that and that's where the class group or the group big group members go from, say, fifteen to 30, to 100, to 200, to 300. Greg, we've got a a very interesting question on our um, Foodland text line. It says, guys, shouldn't any class action before 1998 uh, be taken out against, well, sorry, it might even be 1990, against the VFL, Sample and Waffle, etc., because it was pre-AFL, regards Jeff. You got an answer for that? Well, what we've done is, I mean, basically... There, there's, there's little point in bringing proceedings against the SNFL on the waffle because they simply don't have the financial resources to meet any judgment. Yeah. And the the one thing about the AFL, as it beats its chest, the biggest screw in the room, which it is, with its uh, $4.5 billion TV deal, is that it has the financial resources um, to meet any judgment. Now, and also the AFL... I mean, the AFL just subsumed the VFL, and the VFL just became basically just like a state league. So it's just, it's, we're not prosecuting players who played for players who played in the state league because there's different different levels of knowledge, different levels of liability that would apply to them as opposed to the, the major body, which is the AFL, which had all of the knowledge, all of the resources and knew exactly what was going on, but chose not to require compliance with what was happening. Greg, have you had support um, from countries. the Have you had support from the AFLPA? Uh, well, the, the support that Cat Tuck is the widow of 
uh, Shane got in the has received and continues to receive the coronial investigation with the AFLPA is hopeless. Uh, they wow. have they, they're joined at the hip. Well, the, the AFL funds them a lot, yes. With uh, the AFL, and one of the reasons that Cat Tuck is the lead plaintiff is that she is so shattered by the the way in which the AFL have dealt with wow. um, the entire corroding investigation, the way that every application made by the AFL, which has been against her interest, has been joined by the AFLPA. That's and so, so Cat Tuck has... I mean, she's realised that her only chance of justice is to actually lead this claim, and, and she's a very brave woman. And, um, you know, I, I was delighted when she was uh, willing to uh, take the mantle. Greg, thanks for your time, mate, um, and giving some clarity to what's happening and uh, um, for all the players that are involved, uh, we wish them all the best. I mean, you all know, you, you know every one of them. Both, both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I can see one of my good friend's names in there as well. Well, so, and, and yeah. you know what? These situations mm. is, it's footy field luck. Mm. You know, I was fortunate to have a mild concussion, delayed concussion, in a pre-season game and was fine and never had it any, I think, mm. haven't had any issues since. But well, there's been a lot of people, mm. multiple, and the incidents are rather innocuous at times, yeah, which some, is very, very sad. Some are up to 14 concussions. And Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Greg. Much appreciated. Griffin's lawyers, managing partner Greg Griffin, just uh, tell us about the class action that's about to be lodged.